Good morning. You're very welcome to the show. And on cue, actually, I think 11 o'clock was the beginning of uh, one of the warnings around here. And on cue, the weather does look to be deteriorating. Uh, so obviously, we are uh, keeping an eye on developments with Storm Isha. And there is a meeting of the National Emergency Coordination Group, which we think is finishing up soon. And we're hoping that somebody from that will talk to us um, as soon as that meeting ends. And I think a lot of people would like an idea of... of uh, what to expect, what they should be doing. As always in these situations, I think a lot of people around the place wondering, do I cancel events? Do I cancel trips? Do I do, I do all that? So, so uh, we, we might get uh, some guidance on that in the course of the hour. But um, in the meantime... Let's have a look at the front pages first. There is a, a, a kind of a sense of deja vu on the front pages. The Sunday Times, thousands of beds on way for immigrants. This is the, um, the uh, thousands of beds for asylum seekers created in the next five years. Uh, and th- this is a white paper uh, going to the cabinet uh, next week. And this is the, uh, as the Sunday Independent says in Italy, the six housing hubs planned as migrant crisis Escalates. They're saying there'd be uh, beds there for 3,600 people. But I kind of feel we kind of knew that. We've been talking about it for a few weeks now. And obviously, in the broader scheme, been talking about it for uh, over a year. I think it, it was in 2022 when it first appeared as a recommendation in that report uh, on ending direct provision As uh, at the time was the... What's the conversation? The Irish Mail on Sunday uh, is taking a slightly different tack and five refugee housing firms are paid 100 million. So that's five of the of the bigger companies that, that are um, offering uh, beds. Uh, there's a kind of an interesting narrative developing here as well. Michael McNamara is talking in the Sunday Independent about there being empty beds in a lot of these places. Uh, and... Uh, the Taoiseach actually responded to that and said, yes, there's going to be vacancies will arise in these situations and that they are looking at it to ensure they minimise those kind of vacancies. Michael McNamara is suggesting, are we paying job lots for beds that aren't always being used? And I suppose the private sector element of this is coming into the frame because of... um, because of the racket hall making a commercial decision there, obviously, to shut down as a hotel business. The business post... uh, 15 euro monthly levy on broadband bills to replace TV license fees. So um, you could be paying a new levy of 10 to 15 euros a month on internet and phone bills under new proposals. And there is uh, the government party seem to be at odds about this um, with the minister um, Martin herself was saying that she is coming to think that they should put direct exchequer funding back on the table uh, Fianna Fáil against that apparently Shane Cassells the Fianna Fáil uh, senator says that that kind of thing he says here would be uh, bats hit I think he's saying bats hit crazy B-A-T-S-H-I-T bats hit crazy uh, the Sunday world has that uh, funeral of Jay Hennessy Sr., um, who was murdered on Christmas Eve. You may have seen pictures of that. A quite extraordinary funeral, but very sad for uh, for his family. And The Sun on Sunday has a story about this so-called parking space killer, Christina Anderson, who is uh, appealing her sentence. OK. Our panel this morning, Kira Phelan, is political correspondent with the Irish Examiner. Remu Adejimi is a Longford... Fianna Fáil councillor, Alan Barrett is the CEO of the ESRI and Gary Murphy is a professor of politics at DCU. Good morning, everybody. Morning, morning. Uh, Gary, before we get down to the lesser business of the day, the burning story of the week, uh, are you uh, exercised about uh, Parky Cueve becoming super value park, super value Parky Cueve, Parky super value? I'm exercised uh, by it a, a little bit like the uh, the Taoiseach is, or the Taunish, or whoops, that was a blunder if ever there was one, um, Michal Martin. Um, you know, we all realised that Parky Keeve is a national treasure, although it was never the most comfortable place. I was at the opening in 1976 as an eight-year-old child uh, with my late father, and it was, you know, it looked fantastic. Then, and then over the years, you could see it kind of falling apart. They've done a very good job, but it's €30 million Euro in, uh, in debt, of which the Cork County Board, a previous and past, must stand uh, indicted. But you know, they have to pay off the debt. Uh, my overriding feeling is what uh, Dennis Walsh said in the Irish Times during the week, that for Cork people, it'll always be known as the park. It won't 
you know, no one says, are you going to park in Kiev at the weekend? They say, are you going to the park? And I suspect that's what will uh, what will happen. I, I assume there will be some sort of um, compromise and it will probably be called Super Value Park in Kiev and nobody will uh, will call it that. There's a good yeah. piece by... Um, yeah, in, in the, the Sunday Business, business Post, Post yeah. and my DCU colleague Ona Mali in the uh, in the Sunday Independent um, trying to balance basically the, the debt that uh, the Cork County Board must uh, pay off with the... Um, I suppose the, the Corinthian spirit that we would all just like it called uh, what it is called, but we Donald don't. Donald McNamee makes the point, though, that uh, Super Value, which is Moore's Graves, is a Cork, Cork company. Like, yeah, they, will, yeah. they will be back. A deal will be, a deal will be done because yeah. it's Cork people talking to Cork, Cork people. Cork people, there. there is, yeah. But one of the issues um, is that the, the Cork County Board hasn't, in the last year or two, got the big games that it thought it would. Clare, for instance, I, I think refused uh, point blank to travel for the Munster final last year, both for themselves and for their uh, their legions of uh, supporters. So that game wasn't in Cork. Uh, it hasn't had the big concerts it assumed it would have. Uh, we know Taylor Swift, for instance, isn't going to uh, to Cork. Uh, she's going to Dublin, as many many uh, Bruce, major Bruce, is going, Bruce is going. He's the one sort yeah. of uh, a saving grace, and maybe that's quite apt given his uh, given his age and his uh, his demographic. Kira, it was a fairly sharp intervention by the tarnished there during the week, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think that's, you know, what ended up being this pause on the, the talks about the renaming of the park. Um, it, look, it, the examiner broke the story. Initially, it was, you know, this public reaction, anger, and it, it went further afield than, you know, sports people initially. You know, even we were talking about it in Leinster House and it was just, we were kind of saying to ourselves, God, it's a bit ridiculous when you go about naming this, these historic parks. And then obviously you had a tweet from the Taunashta, who obviously is from Cork, um, big Nemo Rangers and Cork GA uh, fan, and it completely blew up then. And essentially what I believe, it, his intervention probably led to, you know, and, and heightened discussions about the pause on the naming of this. And so much so that he actually raised it at the cabinet meeting. On Tuesday, um, I was speaking to uh, cabinet sources afterwards and they said, you know, it was obviously out of the ordinary for the Taunashta to bring yeah. some, up something like this. And did his cork lilt go up? Because he gets I, very exercised about yeah. cork. So. gets very exercised about when they're talking about cork. Sped up, sped up a little bit. Exactly. Higher <laughs> and faster. If, you have, if you're given 30 million in state funding that, you know, there has to be something done about naming rights and he alluded to that in his tweet and it's my understanding that I know that Taoiseach had mentioned as well at the Fine Gael private parliamentary party meeting during the week that this is something that they will have to look at into the future to ensure it doesn't happen again. Yeah, okay. The sporting bodies can't be having their cake and eating it all around. Um, Alan, you you were looking at that on O'Malley piece. Sports fans march to a corporate tune as companies strike up the brand. But sure, this is sport. Now, isn't I know sport GA is purer than the driven snow, like. But sport all over the world is basically a subsidiary of the corporate world at this stage. Yeah, no. I, I mean, I think you're right. Um, look, it, it's unfortunate, but I suppose there's just this in, internal conflict now in, in in all sports. I mean, at, at one level level we sort of demand the highest standards this is the fans we, we want excellent standards we want excellent quality stadiums we, you know we want all of these sort of things um, and uh, there's, you know these sort of things unfortunately have to be paid for uh, so I think it's just the, the, that classic and you know it's, it's things we, you know, we talk about Manchester City and we could talk about a whole range uh, of things that, that that tension is there uh, in, the, in the GAA I guess this is the, um, the, the deal with Sky there a while ago and now uh, GAA Go and everything like that that you constantly have these sort of tensions uh, and yet I think and every, everybody fans grumble a bit and ultimately just suck it up I, and, but and I, I, I think well I think they, they partly suck it up is one thing but I think they, they also enjoy the higher standards that then seem to come and that you know greater accessibility I mean I, I still remember and I, soccer is really my sport but I think back to the days when I was a child and the only games that you saw on television for example were the FA Cup final mm. um, <clears> and then you know the highlight packages or whatever like that you know whereas the access now is, is, is just so you know fantastic and, and I I enjoy it enormously, uh, but but the money okay. is there. So Can it I make is, a, just it is other, a product. So one, it is sorry, a product, but just, just one other quick it. little point, Gary, if I may. Um, on this issue that, oh, well, Cork people will always call a cor- Porky Queeve anyway, I have to say generationally... The park. But Lansdowne is called... The Aviva, you're right. Now, yeah, it's, yeah. it's really... Yeah. I think mm. at the and time people, people didn't think it would. No. No, no, but if it's probably a generational, but I mean, generally now you do hear reference to, uh, I'm going to the Aviva tonight rather than I'm going down to Lansdowne. Or the SEN or the Emirates in London. What was the attitude in Longford to this like? Was it like, oh, Cork people being drama queens? Well, 
I think uh, we, we'll let Cork people sort it out themselves and uh, just go along with whatever decision they make. Um, <laughs> as we would. I think that's very sensible. If only the rest of the country would do, would do that in all matters, Cork. Let but the, Cork but there was a brilliant line, out. and I think it's in Onamari, but the notion if the Kerry group uh, had sponsored it, uh, it that, that really would have been problematic, I think, much that more. That would have been so. trolling of. Uh, yeah, exactly. Of, uh, <laughs> too high an order. Oh, okay. All right. So we'll, uh, we'll leave that one there, having sorted it all out. So look, um, I mean, it's migration, migration, migration across all the papers. Um, we'll be going on something specific here. Remo, you picked a piece from the Sunday Independent by Ali Bracken. Chainsaw used to threaten security at migrant centre. This is the um, is the the home in in uh, Balls Bridge that is now been earmarked for as a migrant centre. Yeah, absolutely. And that is kind of an example of uh, of when things go to the extreme. Just tell us what happened exactly, because people might have missed it. Yes. Yeah, so um, a, a white van pulled up and there were two individuals in there and one of them jumped out and threatened a security guard at the gate with a chainsaw. No one knows his motive. That wasn't um, evident at the time, but um, he's currently wanted, and uh, the police are trying to uh, are trying to find them. And um, but it just goes to show how things can escalate and how people can be in real danger at, through no fault of theirs. And um, you know, this security guard is at his job, and the lead, the last thing he wants is to be threatened by a chainsaw and have, you know, feel his life is at risk in that way. So I, I don't think it's the way people should be conducting themselves and it's also heightening the, the, the challenges, the dangers of the narrative of uh, of the anti-migrant sentiment that's currently out there because, you know, you never know what mental state people are in and it just takes one individual to take things too far and put everyone in danger, including themselves, because he could have self-harmed, self-harmed yeah. with that change though as well. And the the other side of this as well is, as as we saw uh, down in your area, with the the burning of the former convent in Lanesborough, that this also causes people to decide I, I I'm not actually going to get involved in in doing in doing this. I'm not um, I'm not allowing the building to be used for that for my own safety. Absolutely, and thankfully the fire in Lanesborough was. Uh brought under control fairly quickly and as was highlighted by the Corhelloc um, of Longford County Council the position, the location of the um, of that old convent is very close to surrounding buildings and other homes, other businesses could have been impacted had that fire not been brought under control. Were and people quite shocked down there that this is what it had come to? Absolutely. It's no reflection on the kind of individuals that reside in Longford and the entire body of the council um, were, uh, we didn't mince our words in condemning that act and in highlighting that this is not how the people of Longford operate. And we are hoping that when the culprits are apprehended, it is evident that if they're not locals who started that, because we can't believe that any local resident would put people's lives at stake in that way. Okay, yeah, I suppose we we just don't know. We have what what no care thirteen, fourteen um, arson attacks at this stage, and nobody. Yeah, I think up to sixteen, up to sixteen in the really, past yeah. year. Yeah, and I think you know, they, I was at a doorstep on Friday with three cabinet ministers, um, and they were asked, "How can you be so confident?" that um, arrests will be made given that there has been 16 over the past year and no one has been bought, brought, arrested yet or brought to justice. Um, and essentially, um, Public Expenditure Minister Pascal Dunhu coming out strongly saying, you know, that he has faith in the Gardaí, he has confidence in the Gardaí and that's why he believes arrests will happen. But at the end of the day, if they don't happen soon, quick enough, it it's actually not a deterrent for people to, you know, to not do such actions again. And I think there's a real fear in government that because there seems to be this chaotic nature and no control over, you know, communication to communities of when, uh, who is going to go into their communities, um, that it just fuels this, you know, this narrative of anti-immigration that, uh, Raim, you spoke about there. And essentially, it, because we haven't seen arrests, there's, there has to be something that happens here to ensure that people are deterred from. from so there setting. needs to be a symbol that the uh, that the guards 
and the government I think so, are yeah. in charge of this. Yeah, and that's not happening right now. Um, I know Roger Gorman is obviously going to bring his plan to Cabinet within weeks, but as one minister said to me as well, how are they going to sell this plan to the public? And it's a it's going to be a plan on paper about, you know, six new accommodation centres. The, the memo itself is not going to detail where exactly those locations are going to be. They want to acquire, build and lease buildings um, but it's going to be some time before that comes into action as well probably later this year or even early next year so how long is this going to continue how long more are we going to you know put up a protest um, with people saying that they don't want single men coming into certain buildings and how is the government essentially going to tackle that narrative and like I said that there's a deterrent here to, for people who are taking part in criminal activity that they are afraid to do so because they will be caught and will be brought to justice and right now I think that that's probably what's needed to ensure that okay. other people are put off from doing so. Alan, you uh, picked that piece in the front of the Sunday end of six housing hubs planned as migrant crisis escalates It's Hugh O'Connell. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there's a number of strands um, emerging through the papers today. And firstly, to compare with, with more recent weeks, uh, we talked about the, the, the chainsaw story, but there's actually, there's a bit of a lessening in the papers this weekend around the discussion, let's say, of the far right and the infiltration um, of the sort of protest by the far right. And there's, there's much more focus in this week's papers on, on firstly trying to sort of get a handle on, let's call them genuine concerns uh, that people around the country might have. And then the second strand of this is the sort of question about, well, what, what is the government going to do about this and the importance that the government, in a sense, gets on top of these issues. OK. Uh, because I think... So start, start with genuine concerns. What are genuine concerns? Well, again, they, they, they have been sort of well... Uh, discussed but 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 you have some of the articles in the paper this week talking about um again let, let's call it the you know the, the ordinary decent people in these communities uh who sort of feel uh that they, they they don't have the adequate services they haven't sort of been consulted with um and i think the, the, there's no doubt I, I think everybody would have a degree of sympathy with this the difficulty still remains though uh the extent to which that sort of conversation uh, you know, leads so re quickly then into harder sort of views and, and less acceptable views. And you have this great, great difference. And I think it comes across in the newspapers. It's almost how do you sort out in a protest who's genuine and peaceful versus who is using this as an opportunity to instill the sort of hatred and fears and everything like that. So there's a really, really complicated mix here. Yeah. And I think on like the one the, hand, people you, you in People in Ross Grey are telling, I think it's Ali Bracken or someone today, that we put the run on the far right. Mm. But I mean, there was prominently displayed down there the week before, mm. uh, the, be, before the kerfuffle happened. And Ireland is full banner. Mm was there. Well, now, it yeah. might have been there against the will of local people, mm, but it yeah. was there. But they also... Well, Ross Gray is full, I think, is there. But there was an Ireland is full. They also said, didn't they, that we are going to blockade No, they, they did. But I think this is, again, one of the, the, the difficulties here is that, that people on these sort of protests, even if they think their motivations are uh, pure, they have to understand that they are feeding into a, a rather sort of nasty um, strand or our, our element here. So there, there may be occasions in life that, that, that you know, even if you think you have the, you the right to protest, I think you, you have to look at the broader uh, impact of what you're, you're doing. And, um, you know, the, the, the next issue then that, that, that's featuring in some of the articles is the extent to which migration will then be an election. OK, uh, well, why don't we why don't we come back to that? Why don't Just, why don't we stick with this first issue at the moment? Raymond, what, what, do you think the people protesting have legitimate concerns and legitimate reasons to be there protesting where they are protesting? Say, take in Ross Cray. I think they have um, genuine concerns. Um, I don't think the location is where they should be protesting. For me, I think a, a protest is more has more chances of, of being successful in terms of what you're looking for when you're protesting at the right place. And the right place is where government is situated because government make the decisions that will have a positive impact on communities. Communities are experiencing a lack of infrastructure, lack of adequate services in health, in, in, um, in 
education. So all of those issues need to be addressed. And at the moment, every department is operating in silos. I think there has to be uh, collaborative work in terms of situating um, international protection applicants and refugees around the country. So do you think your own, uh, the ministers from your own party should be uh, taking more of the load here away from Roderick O'Gorman? Absolutely, because... Do you think uh, Fianna Fáil needs to step up a bit more here? Everybody needs to step up. Absolutely. Everybody okay, that's a very like, diplomatic answer. Well, <laughs> well the government, in fairness, everybody is working hard on their brief. So there has to be a bit of co- collaboration. We're okay, can together. I ask you one, another question as well in terms of local councillors? We have seen a situation uh, developing where... We won't call them rogue local councillors, but where a lot of local councillors are not towing the party line, Fianna Fáil ones and, and, and others. Is that something you're noticing among your colleagues on the local council? Well, not in Longford, thankfully. Um, in Longford, we are definitely on the in the position of working together with our local authority, with the uh, government, to make sure that the issues that are prevalent in communities are being addressed. There were actually meetings ongoing, and then the following day, we learned of the arson, um, the, the arson attack in, in Lanesborough. So there is the conversation going on, and I think that is the remit of uh, local councillors, public representatives. We were um, we were elected by both um, uh, migrants and natives to look, put forward the interests of the people. So in all our conduct, in all our utterances, so we have to be mindful of who we represent, the entirety okay. of the community. And that is what we should be doing and not, you know, taking stands that kind of make people feel isolated in their home. Gary. Well, we've gone from a scenario four years ago, uh, this time when we had the election, that uh, rural Ireland was becoming depopulated and had to be uh, rejuvenated. Uh, and now we've got a scenario where four years later we're being told that lots of these towns are full. And But I, I do understand the issues with no doctors, or, or very few doctors, very few dentists, uh, very few public health officials. So I, I understand that uh, fully. I was in Cahir uh, at a summer school, although it was in October uh, earlier this year. Um, it was one of the local hotels, which was now being used uh, for Ukrainian uh, refugees. And I was told by local business that the whole town had been rejuvenated. Uh, and that it uh, had been... Had been yeah, and look, I've said this before. We, somebody, somebody I know lives down there said a lot of it is to do with the fact that a lot of them are working yeah. side by side with local... Everyone knows Ukrainians, uh, they're yeah, part of their lives. Indeed, and they, their, their children play in the local football team, <coughs> and even for Kerry, the children are very good. Um, and they've inculcated <laughs> themselves into the uh, into the, the local uh, community. And one of the sponsors of that summer school, the, uh, the Daniel O'Connell summer school, was uh, uh, the local supermarket, uh, the uh, husband and wife couple, and they're sort of late 30s. I suppose, and they told me that the, the workers were fantastic. When they yeah, told but then look, Ross Gray no, would say I as well that Ross Gray would say well, they had already indeed uh, taken uh, is it five six hundred already, yeah. Kira, yeah. and that they had sorry, and just, very just, just before Kira, then, just yeah. before Kira comes in. I mean, there's a lot of very good pieces in in the papers today. <laughs> Shane yeah. Coleman in the uh, in the business was Alison O'Connor in the Sunday Times, uh, Shane Ross in the uh, in in the Sindo, uh, all very well written and articulating. I suppose what we are that these are very difficult uh, challenges, but no one has a, a solution. <laughs> I think one of the problems for the government is, unlike COVID, where we had a whole of government response to the uh, to the COVID crisis, like the, the 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 huge numbers that have come in since the barbaric uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, a lot of it has been said. Oh, you know, that's Roger O'Gorman's department. On you, on you go. And Roger, to with all due respect to him, is a first-time minister. He's been landed with uh, this huge uh, workload, and uh, I'm not convinced that those in government have realised that it needs a as I oh, say, a whole of government response. There is a suggestion somewhere, I think in the mail today, Kira, that, well, one person saying, look, this, this, his brief was designed by Roderick for Roderick, mm. but that now everyone else now in government at this stage is saying, no, this has to end, but it might not happen before the next election, that it gets broken up a bit more, or a department <coughs> for him. Yeah, it was, assigned, it was assigned this way for him and he was happy about that, but then the war in Ukraine happened, so yeah. he didn't foresee what was coming his way. Um, but just to make, um, to touching the point that you said, Gary, in terms of Cahir Savine, I think one thing that this government is lacking in is humanising what these people are going through. Like, I remember when Assyrian refugees 
um, integrated into Carlo many years ago and there was one town that was going to lose its pharmacist pharmacy, the only pharmacy in the town and after a couple of years a Syrian refugee there who was a pharmacist opened a pharmacy there and I think these are the stories that the government need, need to tell and sell to the public. I think what happened in Ross Grey, I think it was a complete and utter failure of on behalf of the government. I I just can't wrap my head around the fact that you closed one hotel. The and government did <coughs> not close a hotel. No, no, hold on. A hotel hold on, the private took a op- decision yeah. to close. But why didn't the government at that point take a look and see, OK, this is the only hotel in the area, what it was, the service that it was providing to local people and not look at this community hotel that they're now going to say that they're going to buy, examine by in principle. they were looking at that anyway. Well, they are now well, saying they, they were looking now. at it, but how Oh, sorry, if I could just say, yeah. I mean, and Shane Coleman makes this point very well, I think, <coughs> in the business. Uh, in the post, I mean, it's classic politics on the hoof. They're caught by surprise yeah. by the, the, the visceral reaction to the closing of the hotel. And I heard two, two men from Ross Cray talking about you know, the importance of the hotel for, you know, communions and weddings and funerals and confirmations and, and the like. But then the idea that, oh, yeah, let's follow this model in Monaghan and establish a community hotel just seems... So reactive, but just just uh, in that that's a problem yeah. I think, for uh, in, in Ali Bracken's piece in this in this yeah. send out today, she writes about and the the lady is named. She owns a B and B, one of the only B and Bs in Rossgrey, and the Department of Integration. She has said today contacted her a couple of months ago and, and offered, offered her, her how a, much? A, Oh, 120 euro a night yeah. uh, per refugee and um, gave offered her this business model. So essentially you have officials in the Department of Integration who are under significant pressure but they're going along to businesses and these small towns and villages to say we'll give you, we'll make you this offer and that this, this woman in this instance said no because I, you know, provide services to local communities but that is what's happening around the country and in some cases the business model that's been presented to businesses is too good to turn down okay. and they take it now, and that's wh- why I think what, what has been said uh, <coughs> about um, Racket Hall was that a call went out and Racket Hall put, Offers, put their hands yeah. up so we don't know that they were made an offer Raymi you want to come back in there I think as well there are um, so many vacant premises in town centres and those are you know, prime, um, I suppose, places that can be converted to residential. I was talking to um, a colleague who works in the in the council the other day and she said growing up, most of her friends lived in their family home above their... Um, above the shop. Above mm-hmm. the shop. Yeah. And you barely have any of this now. And a lot of these apartments are unoccupied. So there's loads of them in different communities around the country. So, you know, people don't have to be situated in en masse in one specific location. These places need to be identified. And that's why I said the departments need to work in collaboration because there's nothing stopping... In collaboration and, and work with the local councils as with well, the local, Because the local councils have, the you knowledge. know, to hand the, is- the knowledge, the issues, okay. where, the, where, the, where the pinches are. And those solutions need to come in at, in in terms of announcement by the Department of uh, Social Protection, the Department of Sport, the Department of Health. They need to work together and target these spaces. Okay. We're talking about the six um, potential buildings being uh, coming on stream and at least each one is going to house at least 450 people. Is any thought being given as to education of the children of those families, the jobs for those families, where they're going to get their health services and other supports? Well, they need? that all all to be worked out, I'm sure. Alan, just briefly before we finish up, so uh, on, on this being mm. where we left you, uh, an election issue. Mm. Well, do you, want, do you want a quick answer on is this going to become an election issue? Because that is a rather big question, Brendan. Okay, go on. You can um, you can you can expand a bit. Well, no, the, the the quick point I wanted to make though, uh, yeah. and Kira touched on the fact that you know a lot of the difficulties we're talking about here, these <coughs> these are are not sort of political or government. These are implementation uh, issues. This is officials, civil servants working really, really hard day and night to try and find places for people to live. So I think it's it's, it's easy enough to criticise. But again, I think just one of the contextual points here, there are something, is it five or six hundred people who are on the streets at the moment because we don't actually. Now, if I was a civil servant and I was faced with a situation that I was telling people you have to sleep in the cold Mm-hmm. Uh, on the in a tent, I'd probably be just doing whatever I can to try and find those people mm-hmm. a roof over their heads, and I might make mistakes in doing that. Okay, I, you know it may not be perfect, but looking at somebody in the face and telling them, "Sorry, I've nowhere to put you," 
Um, that that to me would trump anything else if I was the civil servant in that situation. Okay, we're going to leave that there for the time being. Kira Feelin, Uremu Adejimi, uh, Alan Bard, and Gary Murphy staying with us. And after the break, uh, we are going to. Uh, I think that that meeting of the uh, National Emergency Coordination Group has ended, so we'll we'll talk to someone about that after the break. Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio One. Welcome back. Our panel are still with us: Kira Feelin, Uremu Adejimi, uh, Alan Barrett, Gary Murphy, and guys. If you just put on your headphones for a minute, there. So the National Emergency Coordination Group met this morning after Met Aaron issued a status red wind warning for counties Galway, Mayo and Donegal. And of course, there is a status orange uh, coming in for uh, much of the rest of the country. Uh, Met Aaron says a status red warning is rarely issued, that people in areas where the warning is in place should take action to protect themselves and their properties. The storm will disrupt travel and utilities. Uh, The orange warning is dangerous, destructive weather, and that's in place elsewhere. We're joined now by Paul Rock, who, who chaired that meeting of the National Emergency coordination group this morning. Uh, Paul, thanks for uh, coming on. Good morning. Good good morning, Brendan. So what can you tell us after that meeting? What's the thinking now and what we can expect today? And what I think as well, people want to know what should they be doing? What plans should they be cancelling? What journey should they be cancelling, etc.? Thank you, Brendan. Well, uh, Storm Isha is the ninth storm of the season. It's a very unusual season and it's been brought across the Atlantic on a very active jet stream it will affect the country um, countrywide with periods of heavy heavy winds and rainfall. As you rightly said, there's an orange wind warning in place for the countrywide for today with red for Galway, Mayo and Donegal at various times. Um, the local authority lead on severe weather with severe weather assessment teams monitoring the weather and implementing their local severe weather plan. Um, as you rightly also said, we held a, a national emergency coordination briefing this morning where a whole of government response in regards to the preparation for these events. And life safety is at the core of what we do, Brendan. Okay. We want to preserve, we don't want anyone dying as a result of this storm. So we want people to heed the public safety messaging that should be uh, relayed on all social media elements. And if I may, uh, just some core public safety messages which we would like to uh, relay. Great, We want Please. the public to stay away from all coastal areas for the duration of the med airing warring. All road users should be aware of the potential of hazardous driving conditions during the period, but motorists should slow down and be aware of the dangers of falling trees and debris. High-sided vehicles, cyclists, motorcyclists are particularly vulnerable during this time. It is also critical that people never touch or approach falling wires, as we do anticipate some uh, electricity outage across the country. If they find damage or if their electricity is out their their own premises, if they contact 1-800-372-999 or use the PowerCheck app to look for reconnection times. And, and also in regard to uh, the transport infrastructure, there will be delays at ports, airports, and possibly with delays with uh, some transport systems due to debris on the road. If the public checked with the transport website for local updates, that would be appreciated. Rather than going to a, a place where the the bus doesn't turn up or the train is delayed and being exposed in a very windy condition. Paul, in terms of people who have plans today, matches, events, journeys, all that kind of thing, can you give them any kind of guidance on what people should be thinking? Well, uh, Brandon, I don't think the public should make any unnecessary journey unless... Really, countrywide you're saying people should not go out unless necessary, yeah? No, especially like uh, the storm, the, the red warning comes into effect at five o'clock and the West Coast is particularly vulnerable in regard to these winds. There's also going to be high high seas on the West Coast, so you have a coastal feature in regard to that as well. So there's lots of hazards that people need to take uh, account of. And before Perth makes a journey, they need to take account of what the weather is at their locality. Okay. Because a general orange warning may, you know, a locality, may, the winds may be a bit stronger. It may be heavier rainfall, so for their own safety, they need to make a decision themselves. But monitor meta forecast for further updates. Okay, and can you tell us anything about schools will be on people's minds as well, I suppose, particularly in Galway, Mayo and Donegal. At the moment, uh, would there be an expectation that all schools will be open tomorrow or might we see some schools closures? We had a, a school transport subgroup meeting after the main meeting today, Brendan. And the feeling is uh, that the red warning is due to uh, lapse around 2 a.m. So um, 
school transport systems and schools, uh, I've been informed, will open as normal. Now, local school management will check the infrastructure of the school, make sure it's not damaged, make sure it has electricity and will relay uh, the information to the, the parents uh, re- regarding that school. Uh, bus transport system will check routes, make sure there's no debris, so there may be some curtailment, there may be some you know, delays regarding that, but as things stand, schools and transport system will, will operate as normal. Okay, and look, Paul. I know there's a, there's a there's never certainty with these things, and we'll be arguing tomorrow either that we overreacted or underreacted to this storm. But am I getting the impression from the general tone that this is quite a serious storm that people need to take seriously? Yeah, absolutely. Ben, every storm is a serious storm. Every storm has the potential to take life. Um, so this storm is particularly nasty in that it's been it's been fed across the country by the jet stream, a very active jet stream. So it'll have a, a fairly high impact. And we do, we do anticipate, you know, like electricity outages and some damage due to it. So life safety, as I said, is the core of why we do these, um, these tasks. And so the people, uh, the public take, just take consideration of what the journey entails or what they should do. Red means shelter in place. So okay. from five o'clock in Mayo and Galway, that's the advice we will give. Okay. Uh, Paul Rock of the National Emergency Coordination Group, thank you very much for that. Um, now, our panel are still here, Kira Phelan, Uremu Adejimi, Alan Barrett and Gary Murphy. Uh, guys, let's go back to the uh, relative calm of Davos then after that. Um, you all picked uh, Matt Cooper on the back page of the Business Post. Des- despite sneering from SF, McGrath was right to be in in Davos. Um, Kira. Yeah. Your thoughts? Well, I suppose, you know, Matt makes a really good point that if Pierre Stoherty someday hopes to be finance minister, that he'll probably find himself over in Davos as well. And uh, Washington, Mary Lou MacDonald goes to Washington every St. Patrick's Day, um, although it's a cultural event. She's there to meet important business leaders as well. And Matt is essentially making the point that, you know, the sneering from Pierre Stoherty on Michael McGrath heading over there um, was, you know, he, he couldn't make heads of it because, like I said, Pierce someday might be over there himself. I suppose if you look at what happened in Davos, you saw Tisha Cleo Radker at an IDA event uh, sitting alongside Sam Altram, who is uh, one of the founders of um, OpenAI, something that's going to be significant for the world and for Ireland. Yeah, you know, the and they have, they have an office here and they seem to be hoping after he had dinner with them they were encouraging yeah. him to employ more to people em- here. Employ more people here, yes. Setting out essentially what is going to be a major tech business for for the future. Um, you know, other people that were there, like m- massive multinational, international companies. And if Ireland weren't there, we'd be screaming about why they essentially why were why they weren't there. And we'd be arguing why our finance minister or public expenditure weren't making the trips over there. So, uh, look, I'd leave Pierce already into arguing as to why he thinks we shouldn't be attending. But I think anyone. Uh, uh, on this panel, certainly, I, I'm speaking for myself here, but would think that we'd have to go over as a country. Alan, the billionaires get a bad name, and uh, and <laughs> the World Economic Forum, it's yeah. a bad name. And I think there's a there's a new narrative coming around it as well. Now that are these out of touch patrician old white guys like, and that and that the axis of the world is changing anyway. The axis of commerce and everything moving east, and that the 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 global south and everything is becoming more important. And uh, well, there's a lot in that. But actually, what's fascinating about Matt Cooper's uh, article, it he starts talking about Dav. Okay, but he but he goes on to talk about there was the Chinese visit uh, during the week, and now there is this issue, the questions uh, about Biden. Okay, and I promise and so, this time we will come back to those. Okay, we'll come good. back to China. I promise you. Okay, Davos. Well, it, okay, but what, what, what's interesting about the article though is that it, it it's tr- it's discussing what is just this ongoing challenge uh, for people in in practical politics, uh, which is you know a lot of politics means having to talk to people that are in a sense unsavory, uh, and a, the pure was sort of say we shouldn't be talking to people like China we shouldn't be going to Davos because of the nasty horrible cabinet people there and then we shouldn't be going to the White House because of, of the Biden thing uh, but of course the the uh, I guess the classic voice in this then is the Henry Kissinger line uh, that uh, you know to, to, if you're in real politic whatever the phrase is unfortunately you do have to deal with, with all these so there's quite a hierarchy uh, there I think that the Davos one is possibly simplest uh, to deal with you you said they're all old, old guys I think if you, if you look at the, there's an awful 
lot of the techie guys are actually disturbingly young uh, for yeah, so yeah, I'm not yeah. entirely sure that that's the case um, I'd imagined Davos uh, has attempted uh, over time uh, to sort of Im- Im- broaden its I- embrace uh, but I mean if, if, you, if you look at the United Nations probably the, you know the, the greatest uh, throwback to a, a bygone era uh, in terms of world structures is the, uh, the the National Security Council or the uh, Security Council of the United Nations which is set sort of 75 years ago uh, something like Davos does have the opportunity and the capacity uh, to take on board some of the broader things that, that you're uh, discussing. So, Gary, what did you take from Davos and from uh, the Taoiseach's visit there? Well, I didn't take anything from Davos and I presume I'm like, you know, the vast majority of the population uh, listening uh, to us uh, this morning, uh, Brendan. I mean, in one way it is, uh, but it is a talking shop. I also think the Taoiseach uh, should go. I think the Minister of Finance should go because we live in a we live in a globalised world and we have an extraordinary, uh, maybe over-reliance on uh, FDI in our uh, uh, in our. So economy. hobnobbing really is what we do, isn't it? It is a bit of hobnobbing, it, certainly. Yeah. But I mean, I saw I, the T-shirt was on a panel talking about AI. AI, and I'm not sure. Now, I, I take here his point that you know AI is the future, and of course, uh, you know, with potential lots of uh, employment opportunities um, in in our tech sector, which is burgeoning and has been for quite a number of uh, years now. But but like, what do I personally take from that? or what do I think of it like when I think of things politically I think it mostly is a talking shop uh, people are happy to come together there's a bit of schmoozing over dinner expensive dinners I assume um, and uh, and life goes back uh, to normal but to, to boycott it on some sort of virtue signalling uh, seems to me uh, to completely miss the uh, and miss the point that we live in a, uh, a globalised uh, world Remo Davos yeah, absolutely. I think Ireland uh, needs to have a presence out there and um, you never know what can happen, what uh, opportunities can arise from um, attending such an event. And I- indeed, in, in the area of FDI, if there is the possibility of foreign direct investment coming down to Ireland, what I would be looking for is for um, a, a potential possible location in the rural Ireland because uh, things tend to stop in in Dublin and so... In Longford in particular? Well... So Longford is open for business. <laughs> if anyone from Davos is listening, <laughs> we certainly okay. will, will welcome uh, industry in Longford. But Davos also, when, when, you, when you asked me, Brendan, about like, what does it mean? But I, I do think in the last few years, just to go back to Alan's point, uh, it, does, it has developed a little bit of a social conscience and it has been inviting... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, people involved in the sort of um, in the social justice sphere to 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 address. No, there's a, there's no, a new elite. There's a new elite <laughs> of that kind of type of people so, but, who go to Davos but I, now as well but I suspect, and hobnob with the billionaires. Uh, but, yeah. And I suspect the, I, I think they're called the conscience of the billionaires. I think, aren't they? And I think indeed, and yeah. I think the billionaires are happy to listen to them and again to maybe schmooze. So we them, talk about AI drink, for ninety nine percent of the time, drink, and then we let somebody say, "Isn't they awful?" And then start to move on with yeah. their, with their, <laughs> with their with domination of the world. So, Kira, China then, and uh, the the Li Chang visit this week, there were there were eyebrows raised, but I think uh, the the biggest eyebrow is Vincent Boland mentions it in the business post, is that uh, we are one of the only countries mm. in the world that has a positive trade balance with China, and that we sell. The, I mean, if you think of that, like half the crap we buy is from China. Yeah. We sell them more than they sell us. Yeah, between uh, two trades of goods and services, it's. Um, 40 billion euro is what goes between two countries and that's exactly why Foreign Minister um, and the Taunashta Michal Martin paid a visit to China in November which I had the fortunate experience of uh, covering while over there he was in Beijing and Shanghai. Um, Did you notice how the um, how the ceremonial airing of the grievances is done in terms of like the mention of uh, human rights? Is that part of the kind of ritual of the meeting that there will be a mention of human rights and then everyone moves on? Um, I I wouldn't say everyone moves on. I do believe that um, and the Taunch did speak to media after um, his meeting with the Foreign Minister Wang Yi over there and he said that there was a lengthy back and forth that they weren't expecting how long the conversation actually persisted on human rights issues and the Taunch in particular bringing up um, human rights issues in Shang uh, Yang, which has, you know, a, a former UN chief did a report into it and said the findings are stark. Of course, China um, completely refused the findings in there. And Michal Martin at the time when he met the foreign minister in, in November said that, you know, he wanted this to be raised at uh, a UN human rights meeting. Um, 
like I definitely don't think it was just a matter of we'll mention the human rights issues and move on. It was very much a prominent feature of um, the the Tarnish's visit over there, as was this confusion over de-risking and the use of the term de-risking by the Tarnish and other e- uh, EU leaders. So you would remember. Um, it was, I think, March or May last year, the Tornish made a speech and he spoke. It was what seemed to be a, a significant shift in our foreign policy uh, towards China and how the private sector and government needed to be clear eyed um, and alert us to China's objectives in Ireland. And, you know, he was asked repeatedly about this and actually resulted in um the Chinese ambassador to Ireland coming out and saying that he was really confused as to why the Taunashta would say something like this and what is there to de-risk about made the point that there's 40,000 Chinese students contributing to uh, the Irish economy every year and that trade and essentially said that you know the comments would risk a brighter future so when when we were in China the Taunashta did speak about and tried to clarify you know he said that some language can be misconstrued and it's not Europe doesn't want to decouple from China it's more so de-risking so he was talking about, you know, okay. PPE and um, what we saw during COVID and how European countries essentially need to be resilient in terms of trade if something like a pandemic happened again. And he OK, so, lo- so look, you, you would say anyway, but as an embedded person, admittedly, but that it, it seems to be a fairly robust um, conversation. Um, Alan, uh, you picked at the front of the business post there. I want, I want to get this in the uh, euro... 15 euro monthly levy on broadband bills to replace the licence fee. Mm. There seems to be a, a, a general sort of acceptance now that the notion of a TV licence is something that's outdated. And I mean, just technologically, I think most people can understand. I don't know, is there from Pascal Donoghue and, uh, well, and um, Michael McGrath? Well, um, let's broaden it beyond uh, those two. But I mean, you know, the, just just that that notion, the, the number of people who, who, who don't uh, even have a sort of TV. I mean, if you, if you consume all your media through your, your laptop or something like that, which a lot of people would do now. The the notion just seems somewhat outdated. Um, And I think most of the discussion now really is around, should we fund, and again, general acceptance that we do need to fund a public sector broadcaster. There can be discussions about how generous that need be, but that core notion uh, that that the state should should be funding it. The question is, should it come out of general taxation revenue or should there be a dedicated charge of some nature that goes to this particular task? The argument, of course, against it being um, part of general taxation. It just means then every year uh, RTE would have to lobby beside the Department of Health and the Department of Education and everybody else for a slice of the action. And some people sort of just have this view that there should be a dedicated pool of money um, and again, there's a. a and it's not a, dependent on the government of the day. That's essentially it, and that notion. That, 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 so, so, so that's really where the the discussion and and the debate is. Do we need? And again, this debate. I think it, this goes back to possibly when Pat Rabbit was the minister for communications. I think there was initial yeah, there was, discussions was, 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 around kind of should it be a household charge or exactly household how should it be. Yeah, yeah. So the, the the debate will 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 carry on uh, where it lands. I don't really know. Well, Raymo, you pick this as well. Yeah, I think um, it's certainly an interesting uh, proposal and it, it kind of makes sense in terms of uh, broadband. Everybody uses broadband. I can count the number of times my um, adult children are sat in front of the TV. So, you know, in terms of the future of TV license, it's, you know, people can't really identify with that. But certainly with broadband, it's left to be heard how, how the general public feel I, about I don't it, know how Gen Y or Gen Z or whoever they are at this stage are going to react to being told there's a tenor being put onto their very, very cheap uh, <laughs> uh, data and unlimited phone packages every month to fund something called RTE. They're wonder <laughs> about that. OK, listen, we need to take a break. Kira Phelan, Uremu, Adejimi, Alan Barrett and Gary Murphy are staying with us. Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1. There are a few people texting in saying, um, has, has there ever been a... Uh, uh, what's the person's there? Does 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 any one on the panel know of any protests at the opening of a housing estate or apartment blocks in the area of Roscrea or anywhere else in the country? If this is just a resource issue, then these protesters should be against anyone moving into their area, not just refugees. Uh, someone else uh, emails to say 75% of Irish people polled recently said we've let in enough immigrants. Ordinary, everyday, decent people are sick and tired of being told what to do by the minority. Are we not living at... Uh, 
in a democracy and someone else says the weather is bad here in Salt Hill all morning I can't believe I saw a lady taking her dog for a walk what, what madness well the dogs you know the dogs rule the world and they need to be walked um, and who sorry Kira, on that point who, who, like, who are the minority I'm all, this always strikes me as like are the minority the people we voted in in 2020 and we're going to vote in again in 2020 I think, I think what this person would be claiming is that the minority are the 25% who say we have not let in enough immigrants if 75% of people and that was in a Red Sea poll said we yeah, let no, in enough Oh, yeah. yeah, okay. okay um, now, uh, communion dresses. Kira. I feel like I'm going to get some backlash from <laughs> some families and parents over this one. I picked out this piece in the Sunday Times. Uh, Julianne Corr was writing about how families are heading to five star hotel experiences for their daughters to pick out Grace Kelly inspired dresses that can cost up to 660 euro. And I just when I read the piece, my I just my head nearly fell off my shoulders to think that for one day the parents are actually handing out six hundred and sixty quid for a communion dress. Like I oh, listen, that's going to get ripped on a bouncy castle later. Yeah, yeah, me and just destroyed and wet and wind, wind given the weather that we have here in Ireland. And never worn again. Yeah, it's just just traveling around like the make okay whatever about making a day out for their daughter, which is fine. But to go to, you know, they've listed a number of five star hotels across the country. Afternoon tea. Uh, something that I w- might do with my mother on Mother's Day, but to do with an eight or nine year old, I just think is absolutely ludicrous. And this is to pick the dress. They're this going is to, to have an afternoon yeah. tea and what? They're mini models going around modeling. Yeah, and I just there was, there was one piece in particular that I thought was hilarious. Um, that children are are actually taking inspiration from Grace Kelly. Sure, they wouldn't know who Grace <laughs> Kelly is. <laughs> when I read it, and I just you know, it just it's beggar's belief yeah. that well, when we're in a cost of living crisis, and the serious point about this is the pressure that it does actually put on other families that can't afford something like this. Yeah, okay. Remy, you picked that as well. Yeah, it just cast me back to when my daughter was doing her first communion. I certainly did not pick a a €600 dress. I actually didn't pay for the dress because it was a hand-me-down from my sister who lives in Houston. She actually sent the dress down and my daughter has worn it, is still in the wardrobe and it's going to go back to my younger sister who has a four-year-old to use when she uh, is having her communion as well. So I think um, spending that much for a dress, for communion for um, a 10-year-old or a nine-year-old, I just, I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I could think of more uh, useful things for that money, to be honest. I apparently think that's, that's, more, about the, there's that's a more about the mothers than the daughters. There's, maybe, a, wait, yeah. there's a waiting list, apparently. So there's obviously some sort of, uh, in, in Calir Village, so there's obviously some sort of uh, demand for what does seem extraordinarily exorbitant uh, uh, cost and there are also yeah. uh, there are WhatsApp groups and all kinds of uh, Facebook groups all over the country where people are passing around all kinds of yeah. stuff as well and it's it's all flying and there is also something called Depop I hear about where everybody yeah. is selling each other their 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 used clothes and everything else. Um, Alan, can we finish up with the the rat in the newsroom? Briefly, we, we can. Uh, yeah, shocking story uh, out of RTE, which made me no, distinctly uncomfortable about coming in here this morning. <laughs> I don't know if my uh, colleagues felt similarly. Yeah, apparently there's a there is a rat problem uh, around uh, RTE. And this is actual rodents now. Not an Elmo, the this rat is the real thing. So to be honest, the, the, uh, the, the thought was, was pretty awful. Uh, then there's the, the discussion. That I, I guess one of these rats was actually killed uh, by one of your colleagues, which again, seemed absolutely awful. Uh, but I suppose... Not if it was on purpose. If the plain people of Ireland were offended earlier on that the elite groups like uh, us were telling them uh, what to do, I think this is an indication that not all, not everything in RTA is highly glamorous uh, and that there are uh, rather unfortunate... No, only actually. 99% of it and <laughs> some rats as well. Okay, thank you very much. Alan Barrett, CEO of the SRI, Gary Murphy, Professor of Politics at DCU, Uremu Adejimi, who is a Fianna Fáil councillor from Longford and Kira Phelan, who is political correspondent with the Irish Examiner.